Hello and welcome to Shop Talk. On today's episode, we're going to be reading The Final Tablet of Gilgamesh, a new rendering in English verse by David Ferry. On our previous episode, we read through the second half of Tablet 11. Our first takeaway was that we were once again hit with that theme that the life of man is short, which we saw as Gilgamesh had to finally accept his mortality. Our second takeaway had to do with Gilgamesh being told to wash himself and to take off the animal skins and to wash the dirt of his journey and his hardships off of himself, shedding all of his baggage and becoming human again now that he has accepted his mortality. And our third takeaway is that now that Gilgamesh has given up on his quest to become immortal, he's able to return to Uruk prepared to be the leader that they've always needed him to be. Now we're going to move into Tablet 12. So here we are, ready to talk about the oddest tablet in all of Gilgamesh. Are you ready for this, Arch? I think so. It's feeling a little bit like a deleted scene, like maybe this was supposed to be popped in somewhere earlier in the reading, but I don't know. And honestly, Mr. Doyle, you and I, just to tell our listeners, have really kind of been thinking about this and wondering about this ourselves. Yeah, we've we've done a little bit of research on it, but from what we've been able to gather, this story was written afterward, and it was added on to, uh, to the 11 tablets that we've already read, the 11 tablets that tell one single cohesive story. This is sort of its own self-contained story, and I don't know, it might change the way that you think about Enkidu. I actually really enjoyed reading it. I think it reads like epic poetry, lots of repetition, as we've discussed before, but also some beautiful language um, and, and pretty solid ideas. I also think that one of the interesting aspects to this tablet is the way that it ends. It ends by giving us hope for Gilgamesh, not in the words that are there, but but in the inference that we take away from it. Sort of the, similarly to the way that the 11th tablet ends, where he returns to Uruk, and he now has an appreciation for his people. There's a similar inference that you take away from the end of this, which we'll talk about when we get there. Way to spoil the ending, Doyle. Sorry about that. Maybe we'll just edit that out later. Or it's actually, it's a tease. (laughs) All right, let's go. Gilgamesh, Enkidu, and the Netherworld, Tablet 12, Part 1. The drum and drumstick I had in the carpenter's house, where the carpenter's daughter was and the carpenter's wife, wife and daughter, were like my mother and sister. The drum and drumstick that I had have fallen down through a hole into the netherworld, out of my sight, down through a hole in the floor. Who will bring back my drumstick from down there? Who will bring back my drum from the netherworld? Enkidu heard what Gilgamesh was saying, and said his servant then to Gilgamesh, I will bring up the drumstick from below. I will bring back the drum from the netherworld. Gilgamesh heard the promise of Enkidu, and with these words he thus admonished him, If you go down to the netherworld for me, listen to what I tell you about your going. Do not put on clean clothes when you go down there, or they will know you come down there a stranger. Do not anoint your body with fragrant oil. The fragrance will cause them to gather about you like flies. Carry no staff or bow along with you, or, startled up, the spirits will flutter around you. Do not wear shoes when you go to the house of the dead. Let not your step be heard on that booming floor. Refrain from kissing the wife your heart has loved. Refrain from striking the wife your heart has hated. Refrain from kissing the son dear to your heart, and do not strike the son your heart has shunned. Or you will be seized and held by the cry of the dead. Naked the goddess mother lies in hell. Naked Ninazu's mother lies exposed, the holy garment fallen from her shoulders. Bare are the breasts of the mother Ereshkigal. Part 2. Then Enkidu went down to the netherworld, not heeding the admonishments of the king. 
He wore clean clothes when he went down to the house of the dead, and so they knew he came down there a stranger. He anointed his body with fragrant oil, and they collected like flies attracted by the fragrance. He carried a staff and bow with him when he went. Startled, the spirits fluttered all around him. The sounds of the shoes he wore were heard in that place. The echoing floor of the house of the dead resounded. He did not refrain from kissing the wife he loved. He did not refrain from striking the hated wife. He embraced and kissed the son who was dear to him, and did not refrain from striking the hated son. And so the cry of the dead seized him and held him. Naked, the goddess mother lies in hell. Naked, Ninazu's mother lies exposed, the holy garment fallen from her shoulders. Bare are the breasts of the mother, Ereshkigal. The cry of the dead seized him and held him fast. Namtar the demon did not seize and hold him. Ashak the fever demon did not hold him. Nargal's pitiless viceroy did not seize him. It was the cry of the dead that seized and held him. He did not fall in battle. It was the cry. The netherworld itself it was that seized him. Areshkigal the queen it was who held him. Okay, so in these first two sections, we have Gilgamesh losing his drum and drumstick and then asking his friend Inkadu to go down there and retrieve them. Um, but when Inkadu is headed down there, Gilgamesh gives him some, some directions, some instructions of things to do and not do. Right, he tells him not to do anything that would draw any attention to him. He tells him not to approach the people that he knew. He needs to refrain from kissing the wife that he loved and striking the wife that he hated and, and the same with his sons. And so he's, he's really just telling Enkidu not to draw any attention to himself when he goes down to the underworld. But what, what happens? But then, sort of in classic Gilgamesh style, Enkidu goes down there and breaks all the rules. He, he does go down very clean. He, is anno- he does anoint his body with fragrant um, oil uh, that, that attracts the flies. He does all these things. Um, he kisses the wife he loved. He hits the wife he hated. And then it looks like this old Namtar the demon grabbed Enkidu and seized him and, and would not let him go. So just by breaking all of the rules that Gilgamesh set up for, for him, Enkidu has basically doomed himself to um, life in the underworld. So I guess he's, he's dead, which is... Oh, here we go Another, again. Right. Like, I, I mean, we saw him die much earlier in, in the story, which is why this is such a, a strange appendage to the, um, to the overall uh, proper story. But it is it's still worth digging into. So now that he's dead, let's see what he might be able to teach Gilgamesh. I wonder if Gilgamesh will grieve him the same way. There's only one way to find out. Part three. Gilgamesh grieved for the death of Enkidu. Grieving, he went to the house of the god Enlil. Enlil, father, my drum fell through the floor of the upper world into the nether world. I saw my drumstick fall out of my sight. The cry of the netherworld has seized my servant, Enkidu, whom I sent to bring me back the drum and drumstick that I had that fell down through a hole into the netherworld. Namtar the demon did not seize and hold him. The fever demon Ashek did not seize him. Nergal's pitiless viceroy did not hold him. It was the cry of the dead that seized and held him. He did not fall in battle. It was the cry. The netherworld itself it was that seized him. Areshkigal the queen it was who held him. O Father Enlil, intercede for me. But Father Enlil would not intercede. So Gilgamesh went grieving to the moon god. O Father Sin, my drum fell through a hole in the floor of the upper world into the nether. My drumstick fell through the hole. I saw it fall. The cry has seized my servant Enkidu. 
whom I sent to bring me back from the world down there, the drum and drumstick that I had that fell down through a hole in the floor of the upper world. The demon Namtar did not seize and hold him. Ashak the fever demon did not hold him. Nergal's pitiless viceroy did not seize him. It was the cry of the dead that seized and held him. He did not fall in battle. It was the cry, the netherworld itself it was that seized him. Areshkigal the queen it was who held him. I pray that the god of the moon will intercede. The god of the moon was deaf to what he asked. Then Gilgamesh went grieving to the edge of Apsu the abyss, to the god Ea, O father Ea, into the netherworld my drum has fallen through a hole, my drumstick fell through a hole down into the world below. The cry of the netherworld has seized my servant Enkidu, whom I sent to bring me back the drum and drumstick that I had that fell down through the hole in the floor of the upper world. Namtar the demon did not seize and hold him, Ashak the fever demon did not hold him. Nergal's pitiless viceroy did not seize him. It was the cry of the dead that seized and held him. He did not fall in battle. It was the cry. The netherworld itself it was that seized him. Ereshkigal the queen it was who held him. The god of the abyss heard what he said and interceded for the grieving king. He said to Nergal, king of the netherworld, Open a hole in the roof of the netherworld so Enkidu may rise up like a vapor out of the netherworld into the upper. Nergal obeyed the voice of Ea the god. The hole in the floor of the upper world was open. The spirit of Enkidu, a puff of breath, came forth from the netherworld into the upper. Then Gilgamesh and Enkidu, companions, tried to embrace and kiss one another, companions. Sighing toward one another, they spoke these words. Now, tell me how it is in the netherworld. I will not tell you. If I told you how it is in the netherworld, the arrangement of things, you would sit down and weep because I told you. Now tell me how it is, although I may sit down and weep because of what you tell me. So Enkidu told him the way it is down there. The vermin eat my body that once made Gilgamesh the companion rejoice to touch. As if it was old clothes, filthy, discarded, the vermin eat the body of Enkidu. Then Gilgamesh cried woe and fell to the ground because of the things that Enkidu was telling. So here we go again. Gilgamesh is grieving the loss of Enkidu once more. It's such a short amount of time, though, that it's, you know, the, earlier in the, in the story when Enkidu died, we got, like, two dedicated uh, tablets just, you know, just sort of outlining how, how badly Gilgamesh grieved his death. This is, this is happening pretty quickly. Right, and, and of course, uh, Gilgamesh, ever obsessed and concerned with Enkidu, but also of immortality, says, like, let, please, can you let my friend Enkidu rise up like a vapor um, out of this hole that he's fallen into? And sure enough, out comes the spirit of Enkidu, and Gilgamesh gets this chance to say, like, what is it like down there? Yeah, and Enkidu's first response is, I, I am not going to tell you if I told you you would just you would just weep because I told you. And, and of course, Gilgamesh says, "Well, tell me." And Enkidu says, "Oh, okay." The vermin eat the body of Enkidu. The vermin eat the body of Enkidu. <laughs> and then, what happens when Gilgamesh hears that? He weeps. Sure enough. Just like Enkidu told I him know. he would. So I, I come away from this thinking, you know, Enkidu really knows Gilgamesh. <laughs> they, these these guys really know each other well. Part four. After a time, he further questioned him about the way it is among the dead. Have you seen down there the man who has no son? 
I have seen the sonless man in the netherworld. How is it with the man who has one son? I have seen the man. He sits by the wall and weeps. Have you seen the man down there who has two sons? He sits on two bricks and has some bread to eat. How is it with the man who has three sons? He drinks from the water skin his sons have brought. Have you seen the man down there who has four sons? His heart rejoices as the heart rejoices of a farmer with four asses yoked to his cart. How is it with the man who has five sons? They treat him in the netherworld as if he were a scribe of the court, dispenser of justice. Have you seen down there the man who has six sons? His heart rejoices as the heart rejoices of one who drives his plow in a rich field. How is it with the man with seven sons? As if he were a companion of the gods, he sits upon a throne and listens to music. Have you seen the man who fell from the mast and drowned? I have seen the drowned man in the netherworld. How is it with the man who suddenly died? They bring pure water to him on his couch. Have you seen in the netherworld the famous warrior, he who fell on the battlefield in glory? The grieving parents raise up the head of the son. The mourning wife grieves at the couch of death. And he whose corpse was thrown away unburied, he wanders without rest through the world down there. The one who goes to the netherworld without leaving behind him any to mourn for him? Garbage is what he eats in the netherworld. No dog would eat the food he has to eat. So then for this last part, section four, um, I, did, I thought that this was sort of beautiful, how he talks about basically people who have built a life um, on earth have a better time in the afterlife. So what you put into your life here, do you have a family, do you have people who care about you, have you made your mark, you carry that with you um, to the nether. Right, and so I would assume that this is, this is to say that the people of Mesopotamian culture, Sumerian culture, placed great value on their family, and it's it's the people who leave the greatest legacy behind who are able to then sort of live out a peaceful uh, a peaceful life in the after in the afterlife. And so I do think that this is kind of a takeaway for this story. And as you were saying before, Mr. Doyle, like what what has Gilgamesh learned or how has he changed or what has he become um, the, the part of this story him hearing this I think gives me hope for his growth right and I've read a version of Gilgamesh I think that you have too where where at the end it's like this this ending plus the ending to tablet 11 are kind of combined where Gilgamesh gets back to Uruk he appreciates his people and then he settles down and, and has a family and and they all live happily ever after, and I, and I do think that all the pieces are there for us to put that ending together in our in our own minds. Okay, so shall we get into some takeaways? Take it away. Takeaway. So our first takeaway from Tablet Twelve is this weird continuity here. When dealing with a piece of literature this old you might stumble upon parts of it that don't really fit. And so they've been tacked on in other weird ways. And, and this is, I don't know, this feels completely out of place. It feels like a deleted scene. It feels like a, a piece of like added bonus content that, that doesn't really fit anywhere else in the story. And even though it makes the story kind of, it, it makes it a little bit difficult to follow, but at the same time, there's something really interesting about it. 
Right, and so for our second takeaway, I'm going to kind of piggyback off that a little bit, Mr. Doyle, because though this does seem out of place, something that remains very central to this tablet is the connection between Gilgamesh and Enkidu. And though this story is about the search for immortality, it's about about a lot of things, a king and a hero's journey, we can't underestimate the role that companionship and friendship uh have to drive this story along. That connection, Gil and Ink, I mean, they are solid. Absolutely. And then our third takeaway is that we're left with a a hopeful ending here. Enkidu comes and tells Gilgamesh that the men who are happiest in the afterlife are those who have left behind a legacy, those who've left behind a bunch of kids, a bunch of people to mourn for them. And um, so I think that as readers, we are meant to infer that Gilgamesh is going to take this advice to heart and work on having a family to mourn him when he leaves this earth. Wow. And here we are at the end. Yeah. You know what, Miss Dunn? This was pretty epic. It was. It was. It was an epic journey. Right. So where do we go next? I don't know. Stay tuned for for our next episodes posting soon. Further adventures from Dunsky and Doisky. Peace. In the baseball. Alright, good. I feel bad now. sure to edit this heavily.